Hello, this is the No Wellness Wankery podcast. My name is Jenna DePeace and we talk all things wellness, wankery, deciphering it and the brains behind the operation... Lindy. No, I don't know. I don't know if I feel comfy with that intro, but hi, I'm Lindy, um, dietitian, nutritionist, and we're going to dive into all the wellness wankery and there's a lot of it. So let's get into it. I love my little intros where I say how smart you are because you're like, stop, I hate this. And <laughs> I'm so like, awkward. I do it because I love it. Um, yes. So someone messaged you on Instagram. Mm. You get so many good questions that raise flags to us to investigate further, being like, is oat milk bad for me? Because an Instagram account told me that it was. Yes. And then then this person, thank you for sharing. Um, I'm not going to tell your name, but you shared the Instagram account. And I then went onto the Instagram account because I was like, all right, this raises a whole topic of healthcare professional red flags, you know, Mm -hmm. because a lot of wellness wankery comes from a quote unquote, healthcare professional who's giving us advice and we suddenly think it goes against everything we've been taught before and now it clouds our judgment. So the question is- Who right, do you believe? Who do we believe? And and how can actually assessing the person giving the information help us understand if it's wellness or wankery? Because I think it's actually a really key part of it all. So, all right, so this person messaged me, is oat milk terrible for me? Is it going to kill me? Basically, um, because this person's posted about it, I then went onto this person's Instagram account. Now, um, their, their Instagram account has the word raw, um, and fitness in it. And I was like, okay, kind of raw is a bit of a, a red flag for me already. Um, then I go into their account. They've got, um, over a hundred thousand followers, which by the way, is not at all an endorsement as to someone's credibility or whether or not they know what they're talking about. In fact, a lot of the the, the fear mongers, they get lots and lots of followers because they say really outlandish and crazy things. One of the interesting things that happens when you study nutrition or any complicated degree is that the more you study, the longer you study, you realize how little you know, because you suddenly are opened up to this entire world of all the things you should be understanding. And so as a result is you actually become more quiet. You're more scared about all the things that you don't know already. Whereas someone who's just done, you know, a little course in nutrition, they think they understand a whole lot more than they do. And they speak the loudest and they say the most outrageous claims. And so as a result, one of the things that perpetuates this whole wellness wankery culture is you have the people who know the least speak the loudest and those who know the most stay quiet because they want to protect you. But it doesn't end up protecting anyone because all we hear are these loud voices. Do you think that they... People that know the most stay quiet because they realize how complex it all is. Absolutely. They're like, this is. An and awesome- how little we know as humans. Yeah. And how making a, an offhanded comment can have really big impacts in someone's life. And, you know, they, they don't want to say anything wrong. So it's easier not to say anything sometimes than, than to kind of open that, that can of worms because there's nuance in everything. And you were saying that, so anyone can jump online, do a quick course and call themselves a nutritionist. Yes. So then I, I look into this person a little bit further and I'm like, okay, cool. what, are, what are their credentials? They're claiming that they're a nutritionist. And so they have this kind of like weird nutrition course that they say that they did. And I was like, I've never heard of this course before. It's not nutrition. It's not dietetics, things I know about. And I look into it a little bit more and I can see it's a one-year course. One year is nice and all, but honestly, you barely touch the surface after one year. There's a reason why nutrition degrees are like four or five years plus then you have to do like, you know, I've been, I've been working in the field for 10 years already and I still feel like I don't nearly know enough. Um, and you have someone who's done a one-year course who's like, I am now, she's able to call herself a nutritionist because 
while being a dietitian is regulated by governing boards, being a nutritionist is not. So I could do a 20 hour course and call myself a nutritionist. And so I think just seeing that one claim alone isn't enough. When you go on someone's website, and if you do ever see a piece of information, you're like, hmm, that doesn't seem right. Go onto their website and and try and find what qualifications they have. If they are reputable, they're going to say what university they went to. Generally, maybe you could work out how long they studied for, um, and then you're going to understand what other additional qualifications they've had. Um, Things to kind of go, hmm, is this person trustworthy? Check their LinkedIn. Do they have a LinkedIn? If they don't have a LinkedIn, probably not a good sign. No. (laughs) And just because someone's written a book, that's not an endorsement for the fact that they know things. People can write um, books. Crazy books. Crazy books would probably sell more copies. Crazy books sell lots of copies. So even if they've sold a million copies, that is not an endorsement to the fact that they know what they're talking about. So there are so many red flags that we should be looking at. Another red flag I spotted on this person's account was um, using really kind of crazy words. Like she's like, this food is poisonous. Mm. I was like, okay, everything's poisonous in the amount you have it. Like water, you can die from drinking too much water. <laughs> Every, everything is poisonous depending on the dose that you have. So this is a silly word. This is just, it's silly. So when you see someone using that kind of term, be like, no. Anyone who's demonizing, who's using very black and white terminology to define what they say, who's saying things definitively, that's a red flag. So if you're going to see someone who knows what they're talking about in nutrition, they're going to use words like, it may cause something like this. It could have the potential to, because anyone who knows what they're talking about realizes that in some cases it will have this effect, in some cases it won't. And to say, this is going to make you constipated is like, that's just, it's silly. The other thing I noticed on this person's account, it was a whole bunch of before and after photos. Now, Mm. this is such a red flag because I think anyone who's using before and after photos is going to get very offended by the fact that I'm saying this, Um, but they're trying to profit off your temporary temporary weight loss. Um, I know there are a lot of people who are like, I love taking before and after photos because it gives me a sense of accomplishment. Um, we're not going to go down that, that that rabbit hole. If you want to take it and you want to keep it in your personal stash, do what you need to do. But when you then send it on to a healthcare professional. To use it as part of their marketing. You are then fueling their marketing. And what we often don't see is what happens after that challenge. So I have no doubt that like a 12-week weight loss challenge for many people might l- result See how I use the word may result in weight loss? Um, Because it it might not. Because it it might not, but it may result in weight loss for some people. Um, So vague language is a good sign. Um, And I think what happens after that 12-week challenge is what I really want to be seeing, which is what you're not seeing in the before and after photos that, you know, you're going to get posted. Plus there's the lighting, there's there's the makeup, there's the very sad depressed person in the first photo and then the really gloriously happy person. Who's gotten a spray tan and bought new clothes and has makeup and their hair done. And they're posing and they're like, you know, they've got things. And and I'm sure there has been some kind of, you know, mental, physical transformation. But these before and after photos are simply a snapshot in time. It is misleading. And there is a reason why actual healthcare professionals, why our governing body doesn't allow us to use these photos because it is misleading. So Instagram has recently instated some new changes that companies like supplement companies can't use before and after photos as kind of like a proof as to the efficacy of something because it's anecdotal. It's simply one person's story pulled out of like, a whole sample. It's not saying, Hey, here's 200 people. 
75% of people had a positive result. The others didn't. It's saying here's 200 people. We've cherry picked one who had a really startling response and you're going to see that one person. And so it is misleading. And I think generally I am yet to come across a, an account with a healthcare professional who uses before and after photos who I think mm, you're trustworthy. Okay. Controversial maybe, but um, I suppose at the end of the day, if there's a healthcare professional using before and after photos, it's coming down to the fact that weight loss is the only goal. Weight loss is what we're doing all this for. Weight loss, toning up, changing the way you look when there is a million other reasons to look after your health. Yes, but you know what they often do is they'll kind of like, they recognize that just promoting weight loss as itself is like not popular anymore. So then in the caption, they'll probably write something like, but this isn't about weight loss. Yeah. This is about so much more. It's a physical and emotional transformation. She is happier, more energetic. But the fact that you are using the before and after photo, you could say one thing, but you are representing a completely different thing right here. And I think actions speak very loudly in these kinds of circumstances. Do not underestimate the power of before and after photos when it comes to marketing. And this is why these these people use it. But um, it's a major red flag. Every single weight loss product or program or anything that's promoted on television is just all before and after photos. The whole thing, the whole the whole thirty second TV ad <laughs> yeah. is someone's story about how they changed their life and because it works in their old pants. It tricks us. It tricks us. It tricks us. It gets us to buy into the program that we've lost weight with before, thinking it'll somehow work this time again and keep the weight off, but it actually doesn't. Okay, that's so guess. that's a red flag to look out for. Yeah. Um, another red flag to look out for is is any healthcare professional who is obsessed with BMI, who's kind of like using it as a metric for your success and as a measurement for how healthy you are. So when you look at the research around disordered eating, this is a bit of a startling result, but they say 70, the results say that 70, and this is like um, the study that was done is it looked into, it was a huge population study um, and they found 75% of people had disordered eating, of women, of women had disordered eating, 75%. So three quarters of people have some degree of disordered eating. And this is why I say I very rarely meet someone who I'm like, you have a completely normal, healthy relationship with food because you've somehow escaped it all. Majority of people have disordered eating, which what you can guess from that is your healthcare professionals, your doctors, your personal trainers, your physios, your dietitians, your nutritionists, they are not immune from diet culture bullshit. They are not immune from disordered eating. And many, you know, 10% of the 75% of people have a diagnosable eating disorder, but there are, you know, what disordered eating and eating disorders are a spectrum. So they can be, have any kind of degree of this. And so I think we just need to recognize that sometimes when we're seeing a healthcare professional and they have this, they just keep coming back to weight. They keep, they keep going on about BMI. You're kind of going, this goes beyond clinical research and understanding because when we look at the science, we can kind of go, we know it's not right. We know it's not right. We know BMI is in, in no way does like height and weight like going to equal health. We know this. Um, there are so many ways that we can look at health and, and BMI might play a tiny little piece of that picture. But when someone's going, listen, your BMI tells me you're unhealthy. I'm like, you're, this is silly. Okay. That's a red flag. Another big red flag, healthcare professionals, personal trainers, they're a big part of that. Gym culture, a big part of that. And I know I've been looking for like a new gym. And when you're more uh, aware of all these diet culture tricks, it can, a few options. Sometimes I feel it can be a bit off-putting to a gym, but then also it can be a bit empowering to be like, I'm just not going to absorb that. I'm going to do my thing. Like sometimes if you do like a Friday morning gym class, a lot of the talk is about like go extra hard so you can earn your weekend or 
crazy things like that. Same on a Monday, work off the weekend and all these type of things like winter bodies, summer bodies made in winter that they <laughs> spruik with their winter challenge and all of these things. It's, it's toxic. It's toxic. It's an issue. It's problematic. Um, and I, I so agree with you. It's, it's, you know, it used to be the case that it was quite hard to find a personal trainer who wasn't going to assume that you were there to lose weight. You know, you kind of like do that in, induction and they'd be like, all right, so you're here to lose weight. How much weight would you like to lose? And you're like, no, I just want to feel strong and feel energized. And they're like, no, but like, you know, you could yeah, <laughs> or, or hop on the scale or why don't you do this, this challenge? And I hear these stories of people who do these challenges who are like, oh, well, my workplace was doing this weight loss challenge. So I thought, why not get involved? And the end result is I became obsessed with food. I ended up gaining weight. Everyone else was losing weight. And I just felt so much worse about my body than before I I had done this kind of thing. And I think that's problematic. Yeah, like my boyfriend actually was doing this challenge at the gym. And I've been saying this because it's, he does, they wear some heart rate monitor and it's about collecting their points or whatever, which is nothing wrong. You do you. But then he comes back to like, we're going for a walk and he put the heart rate monitor on and it made so much little points towards his other stuff, that then he was like, oh, I'd rather just do that. Yeah. And it's like then it takes away good Mm. things because it doesn't have those same outcomes that the personal trainers are telling you need to get. Yes, because you you can't use one metric to assess how healthy a certain thing is for you. It's like this idea of when you do a stretching session, you're like, well, what's the point in stretching my body if it doesn't burn calories? Or what's the point in doing a yoga class if it doesn't burn enough calories? Well, this is how I used to think. Yeah. And it's like, there are so many therapeutic benefits to you doing something like a yoga class. You might sleep better. And as a result, you have so much more energy. And then like how that has all these beautiful onflow effects. But when we're simply looking at things like, um, heart rate or calories burned, I think we are completely missing the picture of health. And I think this is these are, these are some more red flags. And just on the whole like personal trainer thing, just one more like thing that really gets to me. I mean, oh, I really hate you it. really hate it. When I'm in personal training, not a personal training, like I might be in like a Pilates class or a group training session and the trainer will say, um, everyone has to hold a plank. And if someone drops the plank, then we all have to start again from scratch. And I'm thinking, okay, firstly, what we really want is people to be able to trust and know that if my body doesn't feel good, if this is hurting, this feels uncomfortable, I'm allowed to get out of the plank. In fact, we should be encouraging that. Beyond that, we shouldn't be punishing the group with exercise. Exercise should never be used as punishment. And then also like you're adding shame and guilt to the person who dropped out of the plank. I think it's promoting injuries. I think it's creating a very unhealthy relationship with exercise. And I think there are so many comments that sometimes you hear people say, you're like, that is old school, toxic diet culture BS. So that that kind of brings me back to what I wanted to ask. So as you say, like probably there's certain studies, 75% of women have disordered eating, all of these health professionals, all of these personal trainers, all of these physios. Do you, how do you find the ones that are good or do you just need to put a different helmet on and trudge through and <laughs> and just ignore what people are saying? Okay. Oh, it's such, such a good question. Um, and it just, it just reminds me about a really key point here is that we often go into a profession that we have a special affinity with. You know, there's kind of this theory about why do psychologists study psychology? Well, uh, not that they're crazy, but like, you know, their <laughs> brain, crazy. Their, no, their brain, their brain fires in a specific way. By the way, psychology is also not immune to diet culture. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, I'm very transparent about the fact that I got into dietetics for all the wrong reasons that I had an eating disorder. And I believed having a, um, a profession that required me to stay a certain weight, to be, you know, to control what I ate, to know everything about food was a very good choice. Mm-hmm. 
And so when you look at statistics, we see that people who go into nutrition in these kinds of fields have a higher rate of disordered eating. It's not just that they're of the equal rate. They are more likely to have a degree of disordered eating and probably be a little bit more extreme on that. And because their profession requires them to maybe look a certain way is like, you know, walking advertisements. I think that they probably get away with very disordered eating and it somehow gets accepted as this is normal. This is healthy. This is okay. And it's not. And I have very, because I've openly talked about being a dietitian who got into it for having an eating disorder. I get a lot of nutrition people reaching out to me saying, Hey, this sounds very similar to where I'm at. I'm currently practicing, but I know I have an eating disorder that's undiagnosed and I need to treat it. And I think it's great that they're coming forward and doing that, but just don't underestimate how many people there are. I used to be um, pre-pandemic, I used to go to like influencer events, which um, I don't enjoy influencer events. <laughs> I'm a really bad influencer, <laughs> worst influencer ever. But I go to these events and um, they give you a set menu and I could see the wellness influences around me changing what they were given to be in accordance with whatever whack plan they were following. So like, you know, they'd ask for like, I want the pork belly, but no carbohydrates with that. Or I'd like, you know, they'd be like avocado and toast and they'd scrape off all the avocado and like leave the toast or they'd only eat the toast. I don't know, weird things. And I could just see the disorder around me. And I was like, these are the people who are influencing wellness. These are the people Mm -hmm. we're looking up to as the standard of what's good, but they have from what I can tell as an eating disorder dietitian, they have undiagnosed disordered eating, maybe eating disorders that are happening. And I think it's problematic and it's a bit scary. Yes. Another red flag. (laughs) There are more, there are lots. Um, Counting macros, counting points, um, that kind of thing. Anyone who's kind of going on that idea of earning food of, I, I think it's, I think it's outdated. I think it's damaging. And then I was speaking to someone that she's like, yeah, but my trainer only tells me to count protein. It's the only thing I need to count. I'm like, most people get, you know, you're getting enough protein, you get enough protein. Like when, okay. Firstly, protein malnutrition. I know that's like on the other side of the spectrum, but we just don't see that in Westernized countries. Really. That's like not really a thing unless you've got some serious IBS, IBD, um, or fussy eating kind of stuff going on, disordered eating, which caused that as well. But it's just generally not something we're seeing. Um, and there is this over obsession with trying to get protein. And I think that is problematic in of itself. And I think that's, it's just not a healthy relationship with food. No, because I know when I've been trying to do those things and you've got to have like, I normally just like the small, normal sized can of tuna. And then you've got to have like the big can of tuna. And I'm like, I can't eat this much tuna, but I've got to eat all of this tuna. And it's like the whole meal is ruined because there's so much tuna in it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're ruining things. You're ruining it. <laughs> you're ruining You're like, I don't want to eat a piece of chicken at 11 p.m. at night, but I've got to get there. You know, you just think, what is this crazy world I've, I've, I've been indoctrinated to? You're probably getting enough protein, my friends. You probably are. Um, another thing that I, I feel really frustrated frustrated about is when a healthcare professional ignores your relationship with food. So, um, you know, for example, when I was pregnant, I have a history of an eating disorder. I'm sure I'm, I'm probably well over that hurdle. Um, but, and and that was definitely taken as part of my notes to say, yeah, I have a history of eating disorder and this, the eating disorder I had had binge eating disorder and it was complicated and struggled with it for 10 years. And even still at some point there was a whole lot of conversation around how much weight was appropriate for me to be gaining and you need to pull back on how much you're eating and all these kinds of things. And I was like, I have a history of disordered eating and I've been very transparent about it and I'm in a really good place about it. But I could imagine there are so many people who would tell their doctor flat out, I have a history of eating disorder or don't. And then they are going to receive that kind of 
advice that they need to lose weight. And you're like, you're completely disregarding my, the potential risk here because you want me to, you want to flog weight loss toward me. And you don't mind if you give me more dis- disordered eating in the process, you just want me to weigh less. And I think that is unethical. And I think that is bad form. And I think that is a red flag. So in terms of like, are there certain doctors that kind of are more non-diety? You've kind of got to just find them yourself. Yeah, there are more non-diety doctors and, and it's increasingly becoming more common. I think any, if you, if you have disordered eating, I think you do get specialist doctors who, who um, either they're mental health focused, they might be women's health focused, they might be women's health focused if you're a man. Um, and I just think you might be looking for someone who might align a little bit more with that way. I know the problem isn't in, I know with Sydney, there's just not that many Mm. and the wait list can get quite high for those kinds of specialist doctors. But I think if you've got a doctor who assume doctors are going to be still quite weight biased, they're a little bit old school like that, finding someone who's less or who's more understanding of the fact and you can be quite clear about it. Any other red flags? Oh, there are just so many. There are so many. Um, I also just think one more thing is if someone's on, on, on social media and they're allowing nonsense in the comments, they, they are, the comment section has become like, I don't know, an apocalyptic, apocalyptic world. I wouldn't trust, I wouldn't trust them. So for me, if I, if I get a comment on my Instagram and someone is promoting bullshit. They're making comments that I'm like, no, that's scientifically invalidated. I'm not going to allow you to have breathing room and space for that nonsense to exist on somewhere near my site. And so that kind of stuff gets deleted. Full transparency absolutely does. Someone's like, this causes cancer. I was like, you're gone. You're cut. You're cut. <laughs> you're cut. Um, so also just checking those comments. There are so many ways that you can be looking at your healthcare professional. And I just want you to, to, to think about this. Um, we want to find the right healthcare professionals for you right now in your experience. And I think use that gut instinct that's like, oh, this doesn't feel fully right. Or is this really bad for me? It probably isn't. Your gut instinct's probably right. Um, when we're demonizing foods that are totally fine, when you're using conviction, you know, really clear language, like this is bad, this is poisonous, this is good for you, this is brilliant, this is going to cure you. Um, red flags and let's opt out. Let's unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. And get the hell out of there. This has been No Wellness Wankery. If you have any questions, Nude underscore nutritionist, send them through. Thanks. Hey, I've got a question for you. Does binge eating feel like your dirty secret? And are you sick of trying to be good, but falling off the bandwagon and losing control around food? If so, I can help. Binge Free Academy teaches you how to beat binge eating and feel in control around food giving you doable evidence-based strategies. You'll get lifetime access to 30 practical step-by-step video lessons, 12 group coaching calls with me, and become part of my Binge Free Academy community for life. As a recovered binge eater, I get it. I know there's no quick fix or one-stop shop for binge eating. And so that's why I want to give you the ongoing support and care you need and deserve. And I'm so confident it will help you that I'm offering you a 30-day money-back guarantee. So no risk or reward. You can take control over your food and your life. And I think it's the best investment you'll ever make towards reclaiming your life, your health, and your happiness. To learn more about Binge Free Academy, you can click the link in the show notes or go to lindycohen.com slash binge-free-academy.